The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. So our first guest on the programme today, David Horgan at Half Four, said, John Gibbons should be bowing at my knees and thanking me for all I do for the environment. To which John Gibbons tweeted, I'm speechless. Have you regained your power of speech? Uh, good evening, Matt. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm fully recovered. Fully recovered, yeah. I think, I think what David said um, is, is best left without comment, to be honest. I think people who listen to it uh, will understand where he's coming from and there's really nothing I could add. Okay, well, one of the things he brought up, which I had planned to talk to you about anyway, was uh, the Green Government Minister's flying business class. As he said, a seat in business class is three times more damaging than a seat in economy class to the environment. Is it defendable? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, in an ideal world, of course, government ministers wouldn't be flying around the world but the reality is uh, when they're on government business then and if we need for example to get a, a government minister in good physical condition to a meeting for example in New York you really don't want him back down in steerage pinned in between two other people and he may also or she may need to do some work on the way to the meeting. Now I'm I think it's a fair point. Uh, we also, if somebody at the other end of a meeting or the other end of a, of a journey like that has got to get off that plane and go into a meeting representing Ireland, I can kind of see the argument. See, most of us, Matt, if you're travelling, say, as a tourist, OK, you're down the back, but you've got a few hours or a day to recover yourself at the other end. But if you're travelling, you know, specifically, as I said, on government business like this, I do think it's defensible. And I think the, the finger pointing is probably more of a, or an issue. I think in the case of Eamon Ryan, as far as by his own testimony, he's had one business class flight since he's become a minister. That's in two years. So he's obviously gone out of his way. But I assume sometimes it's unavoidable. OK. Uh, when I tweeted about this earlier, a listener said, heat wave, where is it? It's the worst summer in two years. So we have two days sun, or it's the worst summer in years, so we have two days sun, let's all hide under the bed. To which another listener replied from East China, where he said, it's 35 degrees at 8am this morning, it's midnight now and it's 28 degrees, roads are cracking in the heat, count yourself lucky. I think, is it possible, that's East China, but Europe is the focus of our attention, that we perhaps, in our own good weather, don't quite appreciate and understand just how hot it has become in continental Europe. That's right, Matt. Over About over the last 40 years, Europe has heated up almost faster than any of the other major continents. Now, the, the fastest heating over the last uh, 50 years has been in the Arctic region, which is, has its own effects on, on the global weather systems. But Europe is heating up. We're getting way more heat waves. For example, the current heat wave in Europe is the third this year in mainland Europe. Now, I was in France uh, last month and I ran into to a heat wave in very early June. Now, the locals will tell you that, uh, especially the older ones, so the over 50s, they will say this is completely unprecedented. France is used to, high, to hot weather, but for example, they had their her- earliest ever 40 degree temperature this year. Uh, globally, we know that June was the, June worldwide was the second hottest June ever recorded. So it doesn't take, I suppose, a genius, Matt, to work out that there's a huge buildup of, of uh, heat energy in the, in the system. And that's beginning to manifest itself more and more in more heat waves, more dangerous heat waves and more sustained heat waves. Heat waves, Matt, that are morphing into what are called heat domes. That's basically where a heat wave stalls and it creates its own atmospheric conditions. We had a, a a dangerous example of that in Lytton in Canada, you'll remember last July. Uh, we, we have the danger over the coming weeks of a major heat dome developing over Europe and that, that meteorological system basically parks itself 
and it sort of creates its own weather system and they're extremely dangerous and particularly where the ground underneath the heat dome is dried out that creates basically what amounts to a furnace that heat comes in and it can't get out again these are really really dangerous and of course what's fueling that is all the additional uh, heat trapping gases in the atmosphere that are pumping that energy into the system we're anticipating i think 30 degree temperatures sunday and monday but well, what's been anticipated in Spain, Portugal and even in the UK? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, Spain, they're looking at between 44 and 47 degrees centigrade forecast for this week. Portugal has already tipped 44.6 degrees. Now, these are warm countries, Matt, but their records are falling by the week, right? So these are countries that are used to heat, but they're not used to it. Because once you go beyond 40 degrees centigrade, things start to break down. It starts to become a major stress. Now, in the case of Britain, the highest temperature ever recorded on the island of Britain is, uh, I think it's about 38.7 degrees. That's in, in 200 years of instrumental record. That's expected to fall heavily in the coming days. This weekend, it's almost certainly going to breach 40 degrees and by one estimate, it'll breach 43 degrees. That's on, in Britain. And there was a headline actually, Matt, in one of the Sunday papers that caught my eye and, and the headline had in large red letters 43C. And underneath it, it had a woman uh, sunbathing in her bikini. Now, there's a real dissonance here in some of how we report this stuff. In those kind of temperatures, you're not out basking in the sun. You're actually cowering in the shade. So I think how it's reported and how we talk about heat waves and even how newspapers, the type of images that we use around heat waves, we really need to focus on the fact that these are the most dangerous uh, climate-related events in the world that kill more people than hurricanes, more people than floods, more people die from heat waves than from any other climate-related phenomena. But we are, and you're saying we're getting how many more of them now in our summers than we used to get maybe two, three, four decades ago? It varies from different parts of the world to different parts of the world. In Europe, I think the frequency may have doubled over that time. And for example, uh, Peter Thorne, the NUIM professor, talking about this earlier this week, he said that. Um, he said this abnormal European heat wave could actually last all summer. That's the heat dome point, Matt, that we're making. And his, his observation on that is, he said, we're looking here at extreme temperatures that are basically pushing the edges of sustainability for humans and, of course, also for animals. And I suppose, again, it's really important to say that the effects here, it's not just uh, hot days and melting your ice cream. Extreme heat like this uh, sterilises and destroys crops. It reduces food production. Uh, droughts kill livestock. Uh, and, of course, wildfires destroy forests and other areas. OK, there's listeners accusing you of making all this stuff up, that you're only trying to stir fear. Where are your facts coming from? Well, I guess as a journalist, uh, I try to uh, look things up. It's a, it's a habit over the last 30 years or so in, in journalism that, uh, you know, when I come into a studio like this, I like to have my homework done and I like to have sources for all these. And if anybody would like, I'd be more than happy on Twitter after the show to post up a list of sources so your listener can work their way through them at their leisure. OK, well, I will tweet out John's uh, Twitter handle so that people can uh, debate the facts with him if they want to do so. You're also, something else you want to talk about, you want to ban balloon releases. Yeah, I know uh, this might sound, uh, in the light of what we've just talked about, this might sound a little trivial, but it's just one of these things that you kind of go, ah, why are we doing this? And what we're talking about here, of course, are principally helium balloons. These are balloons either the your typical latex balloons or uh, the the foil-filled balloons. And when you put helium into a balloon, 
and then you release it or at these organised balloon releases. Essentially, you're creating what, what uh, NGOs call pretty littering. So you're basically releasing this stuff into the atmosphere and they've tracked uh, particular... Um, balloons that have gone into the stratosphere and have travelled thousands of kilometres. What brought it to mind, Matt? Sorry, we're not talking here about the sort of party balloons that you blow up for kids, are you? No, well, not really, no. These are helium-filled balloons. So yeah. let's say you go to your local balloon shop and there are balloon there shops. There are special, yeah. speciality balloon and in shops. Fact, some of them celebrating even... big events such as weddings or christenings yeah. or graduations, that type of thing. That's right. And, and similarly, you see these charity or, or uh, other event-related balloon releases where they, you know, maybe let go 50,000 balloons. There was a huge one in Cleveland, the US, uh, a number of years ago where a million and a half balloons uh, were released. And uh, among the other consequences of it, Matt, two people died. They also uh, took out some of the grid. Sorry, how did they die? They died from, I think it was a road collision in one case, and another person was electrocuted. because as these yes, as the balloons came down, they shorted out. These are helium balloons, and they were shorting out uh, power lines. So oh. they are now a million and a half. They got everywhere, and of course they were picking up the debris from this. I mean, let's face it: if you drove around in an airplane and you threw all that plastic rubbish out of it, people would be up in arms. But unfortunately, I suppose it's one of these things that there's probably uh, once you're aware of it, then you kind of go, "Ah, yeah, I get it." And by the way, magic lanterns, which people will know yeah. of, say from different events, like uh, I remember being at the electric picnic a number of years ago and there was a magic lantern release. Now, uh, they look very pretty. The problem is, of course, they tend to be done in high summer. So up they go. Uh, you got your little candle, down it arrives and burns crops, for example. The second thing is livestock in particular uh, can eat the remains of these. It gets tangled up in, in, in grass and there's wire in it. And this is the same problem, Matt, with the uh, balloons when they come down. Uh, they're ingested by whales, dolphins, sharks and turtles. So turtles, for example, they mistake balloons that land on the surface of the sea uh, for jellyfish and they ingest them. And, you know, charities here in Ireland like the Wildlife Trust, the Whale and Dolphin Group, Birdwatch Ireland and the Irish Seal Sanctuary, all these major charities that are involved with wildlife protection all of them would like to see balloon releases uh, strongly, preferably banned but strongly discouraged. And the main thing Matt and, and I had a, a conversation with a, with a, a, a councillor from Cork earlier this afternoon about this uh, where they had looked for example at bringing a ban in, in at Cork City Council level now she explained to me a very sensitive story as to why uh, they decided not to proceed with that because it was in relation to what it meant to a particular individual and I understand that but the main thing is most people when they, they want to celebrate, let's say, a birthday or, or to mark a, a bereavement, you don't want to do harm in the process. And I suppose so much of what we talk about here every Thursday is about kind of being a little more aware of the things that we do and the impacts that they have, particularly on, on the natural world. Well, listener says, John's 100% right about the balloon releasing. Balloon releases and balloons generally should be banned because they serve no purpose and are just a money-making racket. Another one says helium is also running short for medicine, so use of helium for balloons should be banned. I'm glad I'm glad your listener brought that up. In fact, helium, it's a, it's a rare gas produced by the decay of uranium. It's actually produced, only a few countries in the world, the US, Algeria, Russia, Qatar, actually produce. It's, a, it's an industrial product, if you like, but it's very difficult to produce. There are worldwide shortages of helium. Helium is used, for example, in MRI machines. So, if you really think that uh, the helium that, that you want in a, in a balloon that ends up, you know, poisoning a, a turtle, that might be better used in an MRI machine that might save somebody's life. OK, and a listener says, uh, John is spot on. 
Thankfully, we have people like him reporting on the state of environment. Tell that listener who asked for proof to cop on and to do some research. John Gibbons, thank you very much for with us for our weekly environment spot. There are a few that are as critical of you as usual, but you've come to expect that. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.